Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back on a Monday morning. It's Doug Lay Maurice with a new Buckeye Talk for you. I like this one. We're introducing our bracket. It is the 64 best games of this century, starting with Jim Tressel's inaugural season in 2001 and running through the 2021 season. So, we are doing a 64-game bracket, all wins. This is six, not 64 best games, 64 best wins. And to help us have fun introducing that, we have a tremendous guest today. He's Albert Breer. He is one of the finest NFL reporters in all the land. He works for SI.com, works for Sports Illustrated, runs the uh, Monday morning quarterback part of that online. Absolute NFL insider. Knows so much stuff. I've seen this guy work, seen him in action, and he does it as well as anybody out there. And he's an Ohio State grad, and he's a loyal Ohio State football fan. So on this podcast, the brunt of this is Albert visiting with us to talk about his life as an Ohio State fan and some of his most memorable games, because he hits right in this range here. He is at Ohio State at the end of the John Cooper era, and the crossover into the Trestle era. So then he leaves, and then now as an adult, his fandom is this era. So we just have a good time with Albert. We talk about what it's like to be a journalist, but also have this thing that you love as a fan. And then we talk about, sort of, he has some insider knowledge, right, of being around the team with his NFL connections, but also he has a lot of fan knowledge. He tries to go to these big games. He tries to make time in his schedule. So we talk about his favorite games, his favorite teams, sort of the different airs in Ohio State football. And I think it's a good introduction to this bracket, which is going to be voted on by our tech subscribers. If you want to be a tech subscriber, get in now, 614-350-3315. I'm going to make the bracket. The bracket is not yet finalized. There are four groups of games, but I'm not going to have them stick in their own regions because some of the brackets are just, some of the regions would just be more... Uh, high profile than others then, because one area that we have 16 games from is Michigan wins in this era. One is postseason wins. So that's all the bowl games, all the college football playoff games, all the Big Ten championship games. Then the other two um, regions would be home games that aren't Michigan and away games that aren't Michigan. So that's how I selected them with the help of the text subscribers. There was definitely one game that needed to be in there that I forgot that when I sent out the texters and said, hey, how's this group look? They said, hey, what about this one? I was like, yeah, 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 you're right, you're right. That was the 2014 road win at Michigan State, the revenge game. I made sure I got that thing in there. So we're going to go through. I'll tell you all the games at the end, but I'm going to shake it up 
and make the bracket and have them all just cross over. So I'm going to seed the bracket in my mind. I'm not going to tell you my seeds, though, because I don't want my seeding to affect the voting, which has happened in the past. But I will tell you, of these 64 games, 26 are from the Jim Trestle era, the 10, 10 years of Jim Trestle. One is from Luke Fickles, one year. 28 are from Urban Meyer's seven seasons. And nine are from the three years of Ryan Day. Now, Big Ten championship games, more playoff games. There's more opportunities, right, in the in the Meyer and Day era. Trestle didn't have all those games. And then if the bowl game is a loss, you can't be in here, right? So 2006 National Championship, 2007 National Championship, 2008 Fiesta Bowl against Texas. They're not in here because they're not wins. But also there was this time some of the Trestle era games got a little boring because they were so methodical and so good. They didn't have like super exciting games sometimes. I also will tell you there, it was much harder to pare down the 16 away games. There are not necessarily 16 great home games that are non-Michigan games in the last 21 years of Ohio State football because a lot of the home games, they're like dominating wins. And then they've had this history of the close games at home against good opponents. They don't win. They don't win those games. Uh, Texas, 05, lose at home. USC, 09, lose at home. Virginia Tech, 14, lose at home. Oklahoma, 17, lose at home. Oregon, 21, lose at home. So those can't be in here. So the home games, there's some in there where it's more like just great individual, memorable performance. Maybe not a great game, but a great experience. But the road wins, baby. Woo, there's some humdingers in there. So I'll reveal all 64 games at the end. But right now we're going to get to Albert Breer. So gracious with his time. I think a fun, especially anybody like who this is your era of Ohio State football. I mean, it's all your era. If you're listening to this, this is part of your era. But if this is like how you became an Ohio State fan, sort of the post-Cooper, here comes Ohio State as a national power again, getting it done, uh, and then constantly competing at the highest level. Albert is right in that zone with you. He's Albert Breer. And we'll get to him right now on Buckeye Talk. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So happy to be joined by friend of the pod, Albert Breer, one of the preeminent NFL journalists in the world who is speaking to me from his podcast studio and behind him on the wall. Yeah. Two Ohio State Sports Illustrated covers, That's right. like a wooden cutout of Ohio Stadium. Albert, you are yeah. many things. You are many things. <laughs> but two of the things that you are the most are a preeminent NFL journalist and mm -hmm. an Ohio State football fan. That's right. Is that yeah, correct? I have, well, yeah, I actually have, like, my degree is over there. And I know nobody can see this, but I've got a helmet <laughs> here that they gave me, which I think this was actually Eli Apple's helmet. It's got the 13 there. Nice. Um, and I actually do also have my high school over here. So it's not all oh, Ohio oh, State. That's but, good. Okay. Okay. But, yeah. 
No, you so are. Like, legit. And I know there's no visual here. So like what I did was probably what I just did was probably irrelevant. No, it's, but, no but I liked it. Um, like you, how important, how would you describe yourself as an Ohio State football fan? How big of a part of your life is it? It's a big part of my life. Like my kids actually, you know, are starting to get into it too, um, which adds to it, as you know. I, I, uh, it's the one thing that I still root for, um, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I think, like, kind of for me, as I got into covering professional sports, and I made the jump. Really, I, I covered Boston College for a while, but I really made the jump from high schools to the pros. Um, I never really was confronted with having to detach from rooting mm-hmm. from Ohio State, whereas with mm-hmm. pro sports. Um, you know, the more you get into it, the more it's just, you know, like part of your work and you don't get emotional about it. And I always think I've always felt like having the emotional attachment to something, having something that you actually root for helps connect you to your audience, you know, because it helps me sort of understand the way that my audience behaves, understand what my audience likes. Um, because I am able to see it a little bit more through their eyes, even though I'm not like don't have a rooting interest in what I'm covering and what I'm producing for them. If I have a rooting interest somewhere else, it kind of, I think keeps me grounded to a degree, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think there's that benefit of it um, for me personally. And um, yeah, I mean, I live and die with the Buckeyes. I, uh, I, you know, it's, it's embarrassing how upset I am after they lose. I don't cry. <laughs> I don't cry, but um, you know, I, the, the, the I'll just say that the night of November 27th wasn't a pleasant one for me. Mm. Um, You know, and then it's cool seeing my kids get involved in it too. Like my kid's favorite um, NFL player is actually Justin Fields. Um, So, you know, like there's those sorts of things too, like where, um, you know, he's our oldest at least is starting to get it. Our second is probably like, like showing a little interest now. Um, And yeah, so that's, that's an exciting part of it too. So it's, it's definitely a big part of my life. Justin Fields is my oldest's favorite player as well. We went to see him uh, make his NFL debut when they played the Browns, and that was his first game. And it was sort of a surprise. And like she had tears in her eyes of like, we're here, like <laughs> watching Justin Fields. And like she was into that. So I, I know where you're coming yeah. from on that. He's what- actually asked me. He's at, so ours is seven. So he probably lacks the, um, mm. lacks the perspective of your daughter, but. He wants me to bring him to Bears training camp now. So um, I don't know. uh, You know, there are some lines that I got to, as a professional journalist now, I got to figure out like where some of those lines are drawn with kids. I figured it out for myself, but I got to figure out where some of those lines are drawn. You know, it's always interesting though, because if I feel like I've heard stories over the years from some of the greatest sports journalists that have ever lived, and then they'll be telling stories and it's like, and then I went to Dallas and I did a story on Roger Staubach and, he was driving around in his convertible with my nine-year-old. And it's like, oh, like people bring their kids sometimes <laughs> yeah. to work. Like it's, it can be okay. So. Yeah. And it would be a really cool trip too. Like I, yeah. I know, I know we're going way far afield here, but like my, you know, with my, my, some of my best memories as a kid were like, I went to training camps with my dad and I can remember that when I was a kid and um, you know, yeah. So it'd be cool for me to be able to do that at some point too. How did you wind up at Ohio State? Because you're from Boston, right? Is yeah. that correct? Why yeah, did so you pick I, Ohio State? Yeah, so all my family went to um, either Michigan or Michigan State on my dad's side. Um, my dad went to Michigan. Um, my grandfather went to Michigan. Um, and I always knew I wanted to go to a Big Ten school. Um, and I, like I just, to me, like growing up here, and I mean, you're from the Northeast, Doug. Like, you know, it's different here. Um 
college isn't the same here. Like I had a lot of friends that, you know, went on and played sports at division three schools, like liberal, liberal arts schools up here, the NESCAC schools. And I, I just never thought that's what college was, you know, cause yeah. I was exposed to the bigger schools. And so I knew I always wanted to go to a bigger school. Um, and I had a buddy of mine, actually, um, good friend of mine from high school, I'm still buddies with, and he still lives in Columbus actually, who was a priority walk on at Ohio state. I played high school football with him. It's one of the best players on our team when I was a senior or when I was a junior, he was a senior and, um, yeah, he definitely influenced me in, in wanting to go to school there. Um, I went and visited there, saw him there. Um, it was a pretty fun weekend and yeah, I mean like there was just like a lot about it that, um, that appealed to me and I applied to Michigan and Michigan state and didn't get into those places. So sort of made the decision academic, you know, nice. So you wind up. So you I, then, I would say this. I would say this. I have cousins that went to Michigan, and they had nowhere near as much fun as I did. So I, I think, you know, for all the academic stuff, I think we win in a lot of other categories, including football. Yeah. Well, and everybody knows. Everybody talks about you know the academics at Ohio State certainly have been, you know, getting better, more prestigious. Better than they were when I was years. there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you- back when back when my dad told me like all you had to do to go to Ohio State was sign up. Things have changed quite a bit since then. Yeah. You hit right at the right spot for Albert Breer. What? When were you there? Then you were a student at Ohio State. When ninety eight to 02. 98 to oh two. So you so probably are, like like one of the darkest eras of Ohio State football over the last fifty years. I would say. So you fr- fr- freshman year was great, right? Except so freshman for the year, Michigan State loss. Freshman year was the Michigan State loss. Saban was the coach. I can still remember walking out of that stadium and how silent it was. You never hear a hundred thousand people so silent. Um, and number one in the country for most of the year. And I'd still argue one of the best Ohio state teams of a lot of since I, since I was in school there classic um, team that would have benefited from a four team or expanded playoff. Like, oh yeah. You get I mean, tripped team, up, but give them a shot. Yeah. So every starter on defense on that team played in the NFL. Um, the three corners were all the, the top three corners were first round picks. David Boston was on that team. Joe Germain was a really good quarterback. Um, you know, for that level, um, didn't make it in the pros as a really, really good team. Um, and then after that, uh, my sophomore year, I believe six and six didn't go to a bowl game cause you couldn't, cause you had to be over 500 at that time to go to a bowl game. Um, and then eight and four, my junior year, Coop got fired yep. amid the academic stuff. Trestle comes in, Trestle goes seven and five his first year beats Michigan. And I graduate that August. And as soon as I'm gone, they win the national title. There you go. Yeah. So, but how, how much did you, were you able to be connected, feel connected to the national title, right? You're out, you have a job. Mm-hmm. Where are you in, are you back in New, yeah, I was in New Jersey? At that point? With one of my, yeah. Jersey. So I was living in New Jersey with one of my fraternity brothers. Um, me and my buddy Gillen, he was, um, he was working in um, he was working in commodities in New York. Um, he was at the I, I think the World Financial Center downtown, and um, I was um, basically working on the copy desk at the Asbury Park Press. I wanted to go to New York after college. Um, I had applied at a whole bunch of different places, um, and I don't know if you ever worked in one of these jobs, Doug, but it was terrible. I mean, I wasn't doing any writing, reporting. I wasn't doing anything I wanted, uh, any of the stuff I wanted to do. Um, I was basically sitting on the desk and editing and, uh, my days off and that's a night job, of course. And the night days off were like Monday and Tuesday. So, um, so yeah, it wasn't, wasn't a great existence, but I, 
Yeah, it was me and my buddy Gillen watching at our, you know, crappy little apartment in Cranford, New Jersey um, for that one. So you are um, gone when this new era begins, but you yep. did get that Michigan win under Trestle at yep. the end of your, in your senior year, after the heartache of the Cooper Michigan reality. Yep. What was that like for you? How big of a win did you feel like that was for you as an Ohio State senior that year? Oh, it was great. And I remember it was sort of, um, they had this great recruiting class coming in. Um, and so that was part of like the hype with Trestle, right? And that recruiting class had, I believe, Troy Smith, Bobby Carpenter, A.J. Hawk. Um, I don't know if Whitner was in that class. Maybe he was after. Um, but it was like after. really, just, in fact, like the big quarterback was Justin Zwick and Troy Smith was like an afterthought in that class. And so um, that class really, that class wound up being like the foundation of, uh, Santonio Holmes was in that class, I think. Um, Claret. Claret. Yeah. I mean, Claret was in that class. Yeah. So it was sort of like, all right, like these recruits are coming and now Trestle's broken through by beating Michigan and Michigan was pretty good that year. And if you remember our quarterback, Steve Belisari got DUI, I think nine days before the game. And it was actually at a bar that I went to all the time, the spot bar on South campus. And um, so he got, he got the DUI. I think it was like eight, nine days before the game and Krenzel had never started a game. And I think Krenzel started the week before and maybe we lost I can't remember the week before the Michigan game. It was against Illinois or something. And then, of course, you know, Krenzel, who's from Michigan, um, winds up, you know, being the quarterback of of the team in that in, in the win in Ann Arbor. And Jonathan Wells went nuts in that game. I was actually at that game. Um, we have some stories from that weekend that I can't tell here. <laughs> um, but me and me and a bunch of my buddies went up that weekend and party. My 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 uh, fraternity brother, uh, my me and me and a couple of my fraternity brothers went up and partied at my cousin's frat house at Michigan. And uh, yeah, it was an incredible, incredible weekend. Yeah. So they, they lost Illinois the week before come off that they beat that. Is that right about that? Yeah. See, you got a good memory. You got it locked in. You got it locked in. I'm pretty sure then that was Krenzel's first start, right? I think that's right. Yeah. I think. Right. Yeah. So, so did you, this idea that you leave, there's this new era of Ohio State football upon us. You're aware of this incoming recruiting class, and they go on and win the national title the first year that you're out. As you're following that, did you did that seem possible to you no. in the moment? No. That was like as wild a year. I mean, I would argue that O2 team, um, I don't know if it would be top five, you know, of the teams that like from a talent standpoint, certainly, um, right. of the teams since I got there in ninety-eight. Um, it was just one of those like horseshoe up your rear end type of seasons. It felt like, like so many things went right. And, you know, obviously the Purdue game was the one that sort of sticks out as the, um, you know, miracle, but that type of stuff was happening that whole year. You know, it was just the ball bouncing the right way. Um, you know, Claret with the incredible performances at the beginning of the year against, um, Washington state and, uh, Texas tech. Yep. And I remember Wes Welker being on that Texas Tech team and Cliff Kingsbury was the quarterback. Um, and yeah, it just like you went through that year and it felt like the whole thing, like you, it was, it was hanging by a thread, you know? And I, cause I was still new out of school. I went back a few times. Okay. Um, I can't remember exactly for which games, but I was there. I graduated in August. So I was there for 
Texas Tech and Washington State. I was at the Michigan game also, and I think there was one more in between. I just can't remember exactly which, but I had gone back for a couple of those games before, and this is before I wound up getting my job in, okay. in Jersey. Um, so I had a lot of freedom to do what I wanted then. And yeah, I mean, I just, the thing I remember about that season, Doug, was it felt like every week you were sort of hanging on by a thread and there was just a magic to that team, you know? Um, and I think the guys who played on that team would probably tell you that too, you know, you know, guys like, um, you know, you know, Dustin Fox, who's a, who's a buddy of mine now and Mike Doss and, and Donnie Nicky. And, um, you know, I, I think Kenny Peterson was on that team, um, you know, offensively, obviously Michael Jenkins was a huge part of that team. Chris Gamble. Yep. Um, I think all those guys would tell you that that team was probably, it's almost like the, I don't know if you felt this way and I know you weren't covering them back then, but it's almost like the, a repeat of the 14, 15 situation where maybe the Oh three team was probably the team that, that, that like it was supposed to come together in Oh three, right. maybe. You know, but it actually came together a year early, and then the year they were supposed to win the whole thing, they didn't. Right? Like, so yeah. I sort of felt that way. Like, oh two to oh three team was really talented, but didn't have the same magic the O two team did. I, I have given up on trying to target years with Ohio State because of that kind of thing. Because just when you think, oh, wait until this year, then that you're a year early, or something weird happens, the year is supposed to happen at a place like Ohio State. There's always a possibility. And, and if you get too far ahead of yourself, you'll miss something. Well, what- and I also think like once it's just the mentality. I mean, it's funny. This has come up a lot, but I think about like how inconsistent I was as a college kid. You know what I mean? Like, and now you give me like this notoriety of having won a national championship and, you know, for like teams like the O three team and the 15 team, that's what's so impressive about what Saban's done. It's like coming off of a championship. Like, can you imagine being a kid returning to campus after that? Yeah. Like, I was inconsistent as it was, and nobody was giving me shit. You know what I mean? Like, right. can, like so, like, I think that's part of it, too, is, like, you know, like, maybe the teams that are full of sophomores are hungrier, where, you know, like, a team comes back with juniors, and it's like, all right, those guys' eyes are on the NFL. Maybe they're a little more entitled now. Maybe it's a little harder to keep focus. There's more stuff out there, you know? Like, so I think there's actually really something to that. Yeah. What were your memories of, you mentioned Maurice Claret, that the Texas Tech game, the Washington yeah. State game, the the feelings of, okay, this guy's a big-time recruit, and here he is to play the way he did as a true freshman. You talk about sort of the magic of the team and the season in general. What was the vibe around, oh, my gosh, this kid is this good and this impactful right away? So when I was in this, um, so the, that spring, he was an early enro- enrollee, and this was like, at a time when there weren't that many kids no, who did that. He right? was among the first, yep, if not the right. first. Yep. Yeah. And like so and, and Josh McDaniel's dad was actually his coach. Um, and I think Warren Harding. And I can remember because I was working at the school paper, and that spring we did stuff on him and the, the the freshman class that was coming in. And um, you know, I can still remember how they shielded him. Mm. You know, and he wasn't doing any media, and they were trying to like it felt like there was this bubble being created around him, you know, like we got to be really. And like I said, I think a big part of it was because of like, it was just new. The idea of somebody arriving on campus as this heralded recruit, you know, nine months ahead of when he's going to play in a game. And so I just can remember 
like, you know, covering the team in the spring for the Lantern and remembering what it was like around him and the hype around him and how great this kid was going to be. And the next great one, the next Eddie George, the next Archie Griffin. And then in those first two games, just the explosion. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And those weren't bad opponents. Like those are power five opponents, you know? Um, And Texas Tech had been good. And that's when Mike Leach was getting them rolling. And Washington State, you know, Mike Price had won a bunch there. And I think that Washington State team wound up like contending for the national title the next year. And he just ripped through them. And like the idea that there's this guy and we were on the quarter system then too, which is kind of an interesting thing. Like, so classes didn't start until like late September. Right. Mm -hmm. So the fact that this guy had broken all these records in those first two games and the entire stadium was chanting his name before his freshman class had even stepped foot in like a classroom building. Yeah. A lot of the freshman classes. And it was just, I can remember there was like this, like, like feeling like, like this was the front end of something really big. And the the fascinating thing about it is how like the whole thing, all of that that I just talked about kind of wound up swallowing him whole. Right. Right. You could see that it's, it's fun to look back and think about all the possibility that was there in those first couple games, just with the unbelievable talent and the extraordinary performance and none of the stuff that was to come was a reality yet. Right. And if you go back, I mean, it's that's it is like sort of like a magical time. I mean, people have used that word for that season. When we think about then that national championship game, where were you for the national championship game against Miami? And and what was it like (laughs) taking that in? I get your one year removed and this is your team doing. Yeah, I'll give you a funny story. So this is actually how I got fired from my first job. I don't know if I've told this, (laughs) publicly, but um, so. I'll give you something good here, Doug. Um, yeah, so I was in that job that I hated. And um, so I can remember coming back from the Michigan game. And I was still new in the job. And I came back from the Michigan game. And I told them, like I was in the first or second week. And I told them ahead of time, like, hey, I have a hotel. I, I, I think I was staying at my buddy's place. But I may have said, like, I have a hotel room. I have tickets. I've like, booked. Like, so this is just the one thing I want to do. So I come back from it and a bunch of my buddies are planning to go to Arizona for the championship. So I'm like, I'm still new in this job. I can't do that. Like, you know what I mean? I'm 22. I, you know, like I just like, no, I'm not going to do that. But I'm like, I think what I can ask for is just to have that Monday night off to watch that game. Right. So I said to my boss, I go, listen, like, I'm not going to ask to go to Arizona. A bunch of my friends are going like, I know I'm still too new here to ask for, you know, a bunch of days off, you know, I'm not going to do that. But is there any way you could give me just that night off? And um, so he said no. And hmm. like, so I was going to have to be there on the copy desk as my school is playing for a national championship. So, and it was a really old school, tough, like one of these old sports editor types, you know? Yeah. So a week before the game, I start building up that I'm sick. And I start like coming into work and like coughing and talking with a hoarse voice and I'm building it and building it and building it and building it. And then game day gets there and I call in in the morning when I know that boss isn't going to be there. And I'm talking with a hoarse voice and, you know, one of the desk clerks, nice lady, it picks up and I'm like, I, you know, I, I can come in if you guys want, but I think at this point I might be getting other people sick. 
I, like, I just don't want to do that. I don't want to put anybody else in that position. No, 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 no. You, stay home. Stay home. <laughs> yes, I'm in the free. I'm, I'm in the clear. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. good. I'm good. So I watched the game with my buddy. I mean, one of the most memorable nights of my life. Like, like it's like your school winning a national title. It's hard to describe it. And I'll never forget it. And we had like another one of my fraternity brothers who happened to live in you know New Jersey come over. It was the three of us watching. I like the, 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 the drama of that game, yep. all the rest of it. Like, so, and of course, you know, we get like rip roaring drunk that night. So the next day I go into work and now I actually do look sick because yeah. of the night before. <laughs> and I go to sit down, I get tapped on the shoulder, go into the office. He's like, go, uh, you know, so-and-so wants to go and see you. I walk into the sports editor's office and I actually believe I had a doctor's note for him from form two. I'd actually gone to that length just in case. And he's like, I don't want to see it. Today's your last day. And that was that. Wow. Yeah. So, yep. And uh, so then I actually at that point was like, do I really want to be a sports writer? Because I had done I had worked at like a local paper back home in Boston. And um, it actually was helpful because. Like I went and I explored the idea of going to law school. I took the LSAT. I got like an office job, um, you know, just, just sort of like for the, like I was going to play out my lease in Jersey. I had a year lease and I just decided like, I want to go back and I want to be a reporter and I yeah. want to cover sports and I want to be like on the grass at the, you know, all that stuff. And I knew this paper back in Massachusetts would hire me, um, you know, it would hire me because they really liked me and I'd done good work for them and everything else. It was a smaller paper than Asbury Park, though. It was like a 30,000 circulation. You know, but I figured at least if I do that, I'm doing what I want to do. And maybe, you know, at least covering the NFL someday. But like at the very least, I know like I'm out there writing, reporting, all that stuff. And uh, yeah, so played out my lease, um, decided I didn't want to go to law school. And, um, that September went back to Massachusetts to go work for that paper. And the rest is history. My gosh. Have you told Jim Tressel and Craig Krenzel and Maurice Claret, the story of how they <laughs> changed the path of your life? They got you fired and it was the best thing that ever could have happened. To you know you? what's funny is like, if I hadn't gotten fired from that job, I like, I don't know. Like, I honestly don't know. Cause I, I, I could not stand that job. And it was just, it was like, I kind of felt like it was important for me to pay my dues, but it's like when you're paying your dues, at least you want to like, feel like you're making some progress. Like I'm getting somewhere with this. And like, I was totally willing, like the job I went back to, I still worked the desk. I still work nights. I still did a lot of that stuff, but I like felt like I had to have something where I was actually working at what I wanted to do, you know? And that's what the paper in Massachusetts, even though it was a smaller paper, wound up affording me. It's hard because my first job everybody at that time, you had to work at least some desk, right? Which yeah. for people listening, that's like you're in at night, you're editing stories, you're putting the stories on the pages. You're putting the paper the old, out. You're putting the paper out. You're responsible for that. But we all wanted to write. So we all wrote and worked the desk, right? Yeah. I mean, unless, so the idea that you were sort of maybe not getting to do the writing you wanted to do and doing the desk stuff. That's a hard existence. That is a hard existence. Yeah, it was. And it was just, and I, and I do think I have such great, you know, what's funny about it too, Doug is like, I have such awesome memories and still have great friends from that paper that I worked at, like where I was doing both because we were all in it together. You know what I mean? Like, and we all sort of were trying to get somewhere with it and everything else. And, um, you know, it was like, 
you know, bars close here too. So we get out after putting the paper out at one. And so it's like, all right, we're racing out to get to the bar for last call so we can have a drink and have like, be like normal, you know, 23, 24 year olds, you know? So you have great memories from those times, but it definitely like, it is a weird thing. Like where like, you know, one thing led to another, led to another, and it sort of all wound up working out. No, that, that's my. And I hope I didn't get like myself in trouble there because no. I think this we're, we're talking now like twenty year statute of limitations. I don't think so I don't I, think you'll get a call from HR or anything. I think yeah, you're I yeah. think you're in the clear. Um, yeah. So so then this era begins, and and again, Albert, one of the things we're doing here is talking about. I have these these sixty four best games in Ohio State history. We're going to have our tech subscribers vote on them. And one of the things that I think is interesting is that as magical as that 2002 season was, there then hit this era of Ohio State football where, for instance, there were some great Michigan games, but there are some games like in 05 and 06 and 07 when they're really good, but they played like a bunch of boring games. Those seasons yep. where it's like, what was the game? It's like, oh, they beat Illinois 45 to six. Well, the Big oh, was, Ten was bad. The Big Ten was so bad. Their non-conference games were bad. And then their non-conference games, they would often lose sometimes. So we're mm-hmm. doing the 64 best wins. It's like, all right, 05, they lose to Texas. 06, they beat Texas in a one versus two. That's pretty cool. But then they get they they get in this area where they lose to USC non-conference in 08 and 09. As you were sort of following that, I, I found it to be a very interesting era in Ohio State football because they were as good as anybody. The Big Ten stunk. They were dominating Michigan. Michigan was falling apart. But that era was defined by losing national championship games in yeah. 2006 and 2007. It was like they're not as good as the SEC, but they absolutely destroy everybody during the regular season. What was your view sort of of that era of Ohio State football? I remember like looking back at it like – so the 06 team, um, to me, uh, like they were such a machine. Um, and you were covering really were. the team, right? Yes. Yeah. Like, 05 was my first year. I like that was so different than 02 because that team was a freaking buzzsaw. And I just can remember like the floor. I was so confident they were going to beat Florida. Yep. And I can still remember like sitting there with my mouth open, like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening, you know? Um, because I had like, I don't know that there's ever been a team I've had more confidence was going to win every game than that one as it built over the course of the year. I don't think, I mean, the Michigan game might've been the closest game. And I think on paper that was like a three point win. Right. But like, it was really like a garbage touchdown at the end. Right. Right. Wasn't that what it was? It was like 42 39, but Michigan scored late to cut it to that. Yes. Right. 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 So, um, yeah, I mean like that era, it's like, and then you look at it and like, was the best roster 05 and was like the Troy Smith suspension situation at the beginning of that year. Like, did that cost them a national title? You know, because if Troy's the quarterback from the start in 05, now you look at it and a lot of those defensive players that were there in 06 were still, were, were still there. Yes. Plus you had AJ Hawk, you had Bobby Carpenter, right? And then the receivers were not just Ginn, it was also Holmes, and Gonzalez. They lose and five so, first they have five first round picks in the 2006 NFL draft off that 05 right. team and then in 06 after despite all those losses they're undefeated number 1 the whole year but I've always thought the 05 right. team was better and talking about teams in a four team playoff it's interesting that the end of that 05 season is the game of the century with USC and Texas and you're kind of like should Ohio State have beaten Texas like Ohio yeah. State's right there 
And in a four-team playoff, they're absolutely in a four-team playoff, playing either Texas or USC in a semifinal, and they would have gotten their shot. And, and they did. I just feel like that era, like it feels like there should have been one title, at least one title in that era. You know what I mean? Like, and I think that that's probably what wound up, you know, spelling the end for Tress was like that he didn't get one there, and so maybe some of the capital that he would have had otherwise, mm-hmm. like, was squandered. You know, um, because it did feel like there was a title to be won there. And I like, I think maybe the most memorable game I've ever been to at Ohio stadium was that 06 game was the 06 Michigan game. I yep. just, I've never been to a sporting event like that. You know what I mean? Like where like the moment of silence for Bo at the beginning of the game yep. Um, the fact that, that Bo passed away like that week, um, you know, like the, the buildup of one versus two, um, and then the atmosphere in the stadium, it was a weird one too. Cause it kicked off at three 30. So I can remember, yep. It was actually dark at the end of the game, which never happens for the Michigan game. Do you know why that was? Can you remember? Just ABC wanted that for that spot, and it was such a okay. huge deal. But it really is. It's like the it's like the one time in history that it hasn't been a noon or one o'clock sp- start. It was such a big right. deal. Yeah, right. Yeah, no. And I, I just there's so much I remember about that. But I would say, like from that era, it was. I think they should have won at least one championship. And I think the damage that I think if you talk to people from the back end of that era, like your Laurenitis is your heart lines, your, I think like what Trestle had built, like there was so much pressure on him um, that to win a championship that he did everything he could to get prior. And I think what those guys would tell you is that class sort of came in entitled and that's where the culture got screwed up. Mm-hmm. Um, that everything that they built was sort of like, you know, like, like it had kind of carried them through from year to year to year, and they were so consistent. And so tri- Pryor's class made them no, more talented, no doubt, but had sort of screwed up the mix that they had had there. And I think, you know, doing what they did to get that class in, probably part of that was the failures of 05 and 06, right? Like where yeah. they maybe compromised a little bit on the foundation of what they built to to get those kids. And then, you know, I think, it's funny because if you talk to the older guys on the team when Pryor was young, I guess there was a lot of eye rolling, you know, over like what the younger guys in those teams were like. You covered those teams, so I'm sure yeah. you know about all of that. Yeah, no, there there was a, a pretty big disconnect in 08 between that older team that had lost the national title game in 06 and 07, and they all stayed. Malcolm Jenkins and James Laurinaitis and Alex Boone and Brian Robisky and Marcus Freeman and Brian yeah. Hartline, they all stay for one more run at it. And then Todd Beckman, they get blown off the field by USC. Todd Beckman gets benched, and they're in this transition between the old guys and this freshman class, and they go to Pryor. And it's this it's this a little bit of oil and water of those two groups. It's sort of the end of one era where they, they didn't quite get over the top. And this freshman class, Mike Adams and Mike Brewster and Jake Stoneburner and Terrell Pryor and all those guys, they're supposed to now get them over the top. They stretched, as you said, they maybe stretched a little bit on some guys to get them over the top. And now here's this pressure on Pryor to get them over the top. And you felt in the moment it's either going to get them over the top or it's going to explode. And we know which way that went. But I will say that was, I do think that six, seven, eight is they're much more, they are a machine. They're methodical almost. There's a lot back then. Trestle's offense is boring. It's special teams and defense. Everybody wants a little more razzmatazz, but they're winning. They're winning. They're winning. 
Pryor's exciting, man. What did you think of yeah. Pryor on the field? Because again, when I go through some of these best games, there aren't a ton from 05, 06, 07, but then there's a game, there's a Wisconsin win with Beanie Wells and Pryor in 08 that's huge. There's Pryor against Iowa in 9 and 10, running around and like making these spectacular plays. There were some very sort of spectacular yeah. moments to the Terrell Pryor era. I feel like the 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 height of Pryor was that the the Oregon Rose Bowl. Yep. Um and I think that was at the end of the 09 season, right? Like I think with Pryor was a sophomore. Yep. And I think that was where you really saw like holy crap, this is the potential. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like like cuz it felt like that was the game that he literally took it over, you know? Um and then like there's the memorable game in 10 which I think probably cost them a shot at a national title against Wisconsin, right? Was yeah. that it? On the road. They're number they one. They, just, they, beat- they had just ascended to number one. They go on the road to Wisconsin, and Wisconsin returns the opening kickoff for a touchdown, and it's off to the races. And, they and that was J.J. Watt, and J.J. Watt took over. J.J. Watt made a couple of plays at the end of that game, if I remember yep. right, that were just bananas. But yeah, like I, I, I think like the prior – it was just like there was all. It always felt like there was another level he could get to, and he gave you glimpses of that. And so, like to me, like that Oregon game after the '09 season was the one. And God, it's like weird how I can remember where I am, where I was for all of this, like all these. Like I was at like a buddy of mine's apartment in Southie, um, you know, for the '09. <laughs> for the, I guess it was the 2010 Rose Bowl. Um, but yeah, I mean, like there were certain like points where it was like. Holy crap, he can take over. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it just it never felt like he put it all together. Yeah. No, he he was probably on the verge of putting it all together and then everything around it right. fell apart. Uh so then this ushers in the, this Urban Meyer era. And now by the time we're getting to this, right, you are now knee deep in covering the NFL, right? When did you sort right. of become yeah. a national NFL reporter? Yeah. Yeah. I I so I kind of started covering the NFL in 05. Um so I covered the Patriots 05 and 06. I covered the Cowboys in 07, 08, uh, and 08. And then um, I became a national reporter. I worked for the Sporting News. Then I went back to um, the Boston Globe, where I was the national writer at the Globe in 09 and 10. Uh, or in, yeah, 09 and 10. And then in October of 10, I went to NFL Network. So, okay. yeah. So you're knee deep by now. You know everything that's going on in the league. And now Urban Meyer, Urban Meyer arrives at Ohio State. Yep. And Urban Meyer with his recruiting, with sort of this next level thing. What was your view of that as he starts building this sort of new level of, of Cooper-esque talent, but yet there's more of an Ohio tie to it? And did you see this coming, right? I mean, you know I, I guess, Urban by this point. So I can really I, I can really say, like, I remember saying to one of my buddies, this might have been the night that we won the national title because I was at that one. Okay. And – um. I can still remember saying to one of my buddies, like Urban's a better fit from Ohio for Ohio State than Jim Trestle ever was. Mm. Um, and trust me, there were points where I was like, I miss Jim Trestle. Like the Virginia Tech game, there were points where it looked sideways, but I always felt like we had the potential to recruit at the highest level, recruit with anybody. And Urban, like to me, was sort of the best fit because. Ohio State is like I think when Ohio State's its best, it's not the underdog. It's the big mm-hmm. bad wolf. Like Ohio State should be the big bad wolf. And to me, like Urban Meyer sort of epitomized the the big bad wolf, you know. And 
like, so I think that that's a big piece. Like he sort of like, I feel like reflected the program. It's like, here's this like blue blood, badass program. And here's the coach that everybody wants, yep. you know, at the, at the time that's who urban was. And so, um, you know, my view, I was, I don't know how any Ohio state fan wouldn't have been over the moon excited about having urban Meyer there, despite the things that happened at Florida, which of course, you know, I'd covered a lot of the guys who played at Florida. So I had an awareness of what that was too. But, um, I mean, I, I was so excited, you know, to, to, to have urban Meyer in. And I, I think in a lot of ways, like his, the way that program was run was sort of, I mean, in the same way, I think John Cooper modernized Ohio state football, um, in making it more of a national brand and recruiting out of state and everything else. Um, I think that urban Meyer did some similar things, you know, and like he was winning more consistently on the field than Coop did. Although Coop, you know, Coop won a lot, just couldn't win the game that mattered. It is interesting that in the end, urban is as so often the best, people are the best winners you're a combination so he takes the national talent acquisition of john cooper and he combines it with sort of the ohio in-state i'm from here i get it i lived and breathed in ohio state football as my whole life of jim trestle and you mesh those two together and guess what it's a juggernaut and so when you think about that era the again and it's you know, you could have these debates. Is it, did it underachieve or was it a disappointment? Whatever that yeah. urban in seven years got one. Yep. Is that every, uh, I guess every fan of teams like this is going to feel like, you know, like they didn't get the most out of whatever era it is. Um, I think both Trestle and urban should have won multiple. Mm. Um, you know, you see it a lot in the NFL, like, you know, it, it's sort of like something like that when it was happening, you know, I could understand because it was a lot of what I was covering. A lot of it comes down to coaching hires, you know, and like, um, you know, like I think especially, you know, at the college level, uh, when you get to a championship level, the you're, you're talking about winning on the margins. Yeah. And if, you know, you've got a hole in your coaching staff and the talent's equal, well, then that can make a, that, that, that can wind up making a big difference, you know? And so, I think Urban did a fantastic job of putting together his his first staffs. You know, I mean, you know, Mike Vrabel was the D line coach. You yep. know, um, Chris Ash, who he brings over, um, you know, winds up being a head coach. Um, you know, there were so many good coaches. He had Tom Herman. You know, like Tom Herman was an excellent you know head coach at Houston and didn't do the job that everybody thought he'd do at Texas, but still a really good football coach. You know, and I think that some of the Swings and misses, um, and I've listened to you guys talk about it on on the podcast. Like some of the loyalties to the people on staff that he won a championship with, wound up you know getting the best of him. Where yeah. um, you know he was loyal to this person, he was loyal to that person. And in a lot of ways, like in some ways, I feel like he did what he said he wasn't going to do. Right, like which was you know value like loyalty over what's best for the program. It yeah. really felt that way anyway. And then I do think. In the end, the way the sport – and maybe it's just because it is what happened, and then so you look at it and say, oh, this was the best possible thing that could have happened to Ohio State. I really thought there was a chance for a dark cloud to hang over the program after the yeah. Trestle stuff. And in comes Urban Meyer, the absolute dream candidate from Ohio to national championships, and the cloud goes away. Then at the end of Urban, as things are getting a little sideways off the field, but on the field – the way he wants to play that era of the spread with the running quarterback yep. and, and that kind of thing. As we start transitioning away from that, 
right at the point where maybe you could have thought Ohio State was starting to fall behind schematically, offensively, here comes Ryan Day. And not only is Ryan Day there to change the offense, he then takes over. And now Ohio State, with the way Ryan Day and Brian Hartline recruit quarterbacks and receivers, they are they had the number one offense in the country last year. They are going to continue that, and that's where the sport is yeah. right now. And if Urban Meyer was still here doing Urban Meyer things, he hired Ryan Day. He showed he was open to that. But Ryan Day is that. What do you think of that transition? And is this luck for Ohio State that it happened yeah. this way? Do you make your own luck yeah. that they transitioned? It feels like right at the right time. So I know, um, you know, like I, I, this is like the first hire where I actually knew the coach because I, you know, I covered him in the NFL and he'd been with the Eagles and the Niners. Um, and so I had a lot of confidence in the person, you know, like I, I just, he's a really good guy, you know, and I think that that goes a long way in, in recruiting teenagers. Um, I think the way you recruit is different, you know, like now I think the way you coach is different. Um, you know, guys like Urban Meyer and, and Bill Belichick and Nick Saban are sort of grandfathered in where they can coach the way like you and I were coached when we were kids. Mm-hmm. Kids aren't coached that way anymore, you know? So like, it's really hard to try to pull that off now if you don't have like a trophy case that's full behind you. Right. So um, I think like Ryan was like an inspired hire in that way, in that it was this program is going to need something a little bit different. Um, And I think your point about this being where the sport's going is the right one. We see it every year in the NFL, right? The amount of quarterbacks that are coming into the league that can play, and it's not mean all of them are stars, but the amount that can play and function out there, and then the amount of athletes at receiver, right? Like every year in the NFL drafts, a great receiver draft now, mm-hmm. every year. And why is that? Well, because kids are playing seven on seven from the time they're 10 years old, and the high schools are throwing the ball all over the place, and the best athletes are gravitating towards that position. And so like if you look at the landscape of the sport right now and you look at what's coming out of high school, which you have no control over, um, it's the same way the NFL teams are looking at what's coming out of college. There's a lot of quarterbacks. There's a lot of receivers. There's lots of kids who can play in wide open offenses because they have experience doing it. And so if you're not on that train, you're not going to have the best athletes in your program. And I think it's something Nick Saban's recognized. And I think it's something Urban Meyer recognized too in hiring Ryan in the first place. And I think ultimately it's something that Gene Smith recognized Uh in promoting Ryan Day and seeing, because there are guys who'd walk over hot coals to get that job. You know, we know that. Like my understanding was Matt Campbell was somebody they really considered. Like, and there were some in the the athletic department that I've heard wanted Matt Campbell. I think Matt Campbell would have done a good job. Like he's a good coach, right? But for where the sport is right now, quarterbacks, receivers, you want to get the best athletes, you want to get kids who are playing the game the way it's being played right now, you have to have a coach who can attract those sorts of people. And Ryan's that, you know? And so I think that's why, you know, you look at college football now and it's like Ohio State's in a really good spot because they're in position to leverage players through a style of play and through a pipeline that they've created to the NFL at the positions where the best athletes are playing. Your memories, and we, I mean, we could go nine hours on this stuff. When you think about some of these other games, you mentioned the national championship game in 14 
There's obviously yep. the Bama semifinal. There's a semifinal win against Clemson, that revenge game. Um, obviously some other really good regular season games. Any, what else stands out to you? What are your other, like other, are, are there other favorite games for you? When right, you, so think you mentioned, about so you mentioned the 06 Michigan game. We talked about 19 or 20 Clemson, right? Which yep. I remember where I was for that. I was on my couch. Um, I was in the building for the national championship loss. I was actually one of the 15,000 or so people in Miami nice. at that game. Um, I mean, obviously the games that you were at, like, I, I are a little different. Yeah. Um, so like, you know, the, 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 the 16 Michigan game mm-hmm. was wild. I don't know. I was in the stadium for that one. You were. Okay. Yeah. And, um, that was, I mean, like I'll always remember that one just for the circumstances of it. I feel like that was like sort of the height of the Harbaugh Meyer rivalry, right? Like that game. And, um, I think it was pivotal in the way things wound up going the few years after that, too. Yep. Um, so the Michigan games and the games you were at take on a different meaning. The Purdue game in 02, um, I can vividly remember where I was for that. I was at a bar in um, in New Jersey, and I we were I, – I can't remember. It was like an Applebee's or something like that. I mean, I don't know. It was one of those sorts of places. Yeah. And, I mean, there were like – I, there were like five or six of us in there. Um, you know, like me, my two fraternity brothers who lived in Jersey and, um, Evan and Gillen. And then like maybe three or four other people that were just there with us and the whole place was empty. I mean, it was like the middle of the afternoon on a Saturday and we're making so much noise and drunk and knocking shit over and all that. (laughs) So I remember the Purdue game. I remember Holy Buckeye for that reason. I'm just trying to think like the other ones that are big. The last few years, you know, I can remember like 18 Michigan um, Mm -hmm. because it felt like Michigan was close. Yeah. Like that they were, and it felt like there was a lot of confidence on Michigan's side. And I have a fraternity brother of mine that actually lives here in the same town as me in Massachusetts, uh, my buddy Kel. And I went over to his house and um, (laughs) I'm 38 years old at that point. And, uh, I can just remember being nervous and feeling and preparing myself for the, the 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 roof to cave in on us. Yeah, and just the the joy in that sort of situation when your team is just freaking destroying the other team. And I can still remember. I still have on my Instagram a video of me and him just laughing into the camera. <laughs> um, I mean, I like there are so many of them, Doug. Like, and a lot of them, like I think you associate it with your friends. So it's like the ones I've been to, even the last few years. You know, my job makes it tough to get to games. So I've gone to like weeknight games the last couple of years. I was at the Minnesota game last year. Okay, Um, and then I was at the Northwestern game in nineteen. You're on the matter, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and I, and and like that was awesome because you know we were pre gaming all day and we took the L up to you know, and it was like a party on the L going up. You know, so I have those memories too. Um, I remember where I was for Michigan State in fifteen. A lot of these are bad memories. Well, it's interesting, Charlotte. There's so many of the. They have so many wins that are blowouts, and then they very seldom get blown out. So a lot of times, like when they do lose, it's often close and heartbreaking, and it's exciting, right? So if you go like the most exciting games, you get some losses in there. That fifteen Michigan State game, it's weird. It was terrible. But it was tense. It was tense the whole time. You know what? What was hard about that too, Doug? I'm sure you saw that you felt this covering the team. You could feel that one coming. Like you could feel that oh. one coming. That's, like, it was like the month before. 
I think they played against Indiana and they looked really sluggish and more. And I, and I think if I remember right, Zeke broke off a couple long ones and bailed them out. Yep. But there were, there were a, yep. yeah, there were a bunch like, like you could feel that it was like, Oh crap. And then Michigan state happens. And you think the whole thing is going to fall apart. And then all of a sudden the last two games, they look like the team everybody thought they were going like to be. The best team in the country. But the idea that you look back and look at an offense that had Braxton Miller, Ezekiel Elliott, Michael Thomas, JT Barrett, Cardale Jones, and they couldn't get out of their own way for two thirds of the and season. The Taylor Decker and Billy Price and Pat <laughs> yeah. Alfline and everybody else. And they just they couldn't figure out a way to use all the talent. So um, yeah, and I think like I, I think like the like the other loss that stuff sticks out in my head. I remember so. For that game, I was in Charlotte because I was covering a Panthers game for the network then. And then the year before that, I remember where I was for the Virginia Tech game. Mm. I was with a few friends of mine in Houston, and that was the game. <laughs> I remember my friends will never let me forget. That was the game where like it, they looked so bad in that game. They looked so bad. Yep. And I can still remember vividly remember saying to one of my friends, I miss Trestle. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Because it was like, if yeah. you remember, Doug, it was like the opposite of a Trestle game. They looked disorganized. It looked scattershot. When they did score, it looked like it was like out of nowhere. I mean, it just looked like a mess, you know? And uh, and I have a couple of friends that will never let me forget that that night I said, I miss Trestle. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was like, yeah, Michigan's or Virginia Tech threw that defense at him. It looked like they had never seen a defense before and, uh, none of it worked. God, I remember they got- where I am for all the losses. I remember the big 10 championship game. I was a game on in Boston for that, um, in 2013 when they lost to Michigan state. Yeah. Um, and that was the urban pizza game, I believe. Yes, right. It was. I, yeah. I was staring at urban eating the pizza and I thought, you know what? I'll let the guy eat his pizza. In, and and then the guy next to me took the picture, and I was like, "Oh my god, I'm trying to have some grace here." Urban, no way, you let, were standing right there. I was right. I was staring at him eating the pizza, and I just I thought I'll let him live. Well, the, and he that's looked so that, sad. I, like that, that was the way I I always approached those moments that way, Doug. Because I'm like, that's kind of you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, and I'm not a photographer. Like, that's kind of so. I, know, I mean, like, I I get it. I'm not saying it was wrong to take it, but it was like. Oh yeah, no. That I was I was watching them eat that pizza too. So as we think, and I'll let you go with this, Albert. And again, um, I think it's so rare to have somebody with your perspective who understands football uh, as a business, as a job, um, the inside part of it. But you have maintained uh, this passionate fandom. When you think about where Ohio State is right now, and you think about Ryan Day, and you think about. Uh, Jim Knowles and Brian Hartline yeah. and Larry Johnson and the people, Tony Alford, the people they have there, where they are. The one thing, Albert, is that you were there for like, and you throw out 11 because 11 was just nuts. It was turned out to be a blip. It didn't have to be a blip, but it was clearly a blip. But you were there for, for like the last time it got sideways at the end of Cooper, beginning of Trestle, where there was like an, you know multiple iffy years. Yeah. They have not hit the dip that we've seen Alabama and Michigan and Texas and USC and all these programs, even the best programs, they go through it. What is your view of the future of Ohio State football? And do you think you're just going to continue to enjoy winning football as an Ohio State fan for years to come? I'm really optimistic because I just think um, Ryan's really good at identifying quarterbacks and identifying coaches. 
And I do think, like, for the most part, he won't let a mistake linger. Um, and so, you know, you look at, like, for the most part, the guys that they brought in, his effort to keep Heartline over the last few years, which I think is huge, um, you know, keeping certain people from the old staff, Kevin Wilson, but also knowing who to let go of. Like, I think Jeff Halfley um, is going to wind up being a fantastic head coach um, and was a great hire then. Um, people want to come and work for him too. You know, that's a big part of it, you know? And I, I think, so like Ryan being such a good people person and like his ability to recruit, um, I think is huge. I, I do think eventually he goes to the NFL though. So whether that's three years from now, five years from now, seven years from now, I've sort of resigned myself to the fact that I'll be covering Ryan day again, you know? And I think that that'll probably, and I, I, I'd love to think that like a guy's going to stay somewhere for 20 or 30 years. I do think eventually he winds up in the league. Um, and I think so, you know, to me, like the question is, I think the biggest question is when that happens, where's Gene Smith? Is there an athletic director succession plan that they have in place? And there are some guys that have worked for Gene who's done a fantastic job that are around the country, right? I think like there UCLA's, is. Uh, if I, if Martin Jarmond is not the next athletic director at Ohio State, I'll be slightly surprised who was the right-hand man for Gene yeah. and then went to Boston College. Uh, and hired Jeff Hathley at Boston College is now at UCLA, I think. Yeah. But there's also so, Pat Chun at Washington State's another one to keep an eye on. But yeah. Right. But but I think but I think that that's a huge part of it. So, I mean, so much of this just comes down to getting the coaching hires right, right? Yeah. I mean, like, for the most part, like, that's where Ohio State hasn't really swung and missed. I mean, even like Fickle, right? Like, which I think Luke would probably tell you now like that that was early for him and the circumstances weren't right and everything else. Um, but like, we haven't seen them swing and miss on a head coach hire. No. Um, there isn't a Brady Hoke in there. You know, there isn't a Rich Rodriguez in there for the most part. They've hired really good coaches who've been a good fit for the program and who've given the program what it needed at that point. Um, even Coop, like Coop, who was the coach when I was there, like I think you could argue that like he nationalized the program mm -hmm. and nationalizing the program was something that Ohio state needed because of the population trends and you weren't going to be able to recruit strictly in the Midwest anymore. And so I I'd say I'm confident that the dip isn't coming, but you are one swing and a miss on the head coach front away from that happening. I don't care who you are. Yep. And so like, that's the big thing, you know, is, can they keep getting the head coach hires right whenever the time comes that Ryan goes to the NFL? And by the way, like I'm not saying that's going to happen tomorrow, but you know, eventually I think it will. And they just have to be ready for that. And so my biggest question is who's that guy going to be? And also, like we were just talking about, who's going to be the guy making the decision on who the next guy is going to be? Because um, I think, you know, Gene Smith at least now, I, I would say is probably like on to some degree retirement watch, right? Like that probably mm -hmm. happens at some point over the next few years. Yeah, I don't think anybody's in a hurry. I think the Ryan Day to get him up to nine point five million a year, the extension that takes him out seven years. I don't think he's in a hurry. He'd get to the the end of this seven more years, well, and and he'd still be barely fifty. Right. Here's so, the other thing, Doug. Here's the other thing. Do you know how many coaches in the NFL make ten million? I don't know that actually. I think it, I, the last time I checked, the number was eight. Okay. It's pretty it's good. Hard to make that. It's hard to make that much money in the NFL. And I think Ryan also, it's important to look at who his mentor was too. It's Chip Kelly. Mm -hmm. What happened to Chip in the NFL? He lived it. What happened to, what happened to the it. Urban? What, yeah, what yeah. happened to Urban in the NFL? So 
there's a lot of that. Like, it's great to be the hot name, but that wears off pretty quick in the NFL, you know, and you can go pretty quickly. If you're like one of these guys coming from college, you can go pretty quickly if you get in the wrong situation from the hot name to what the hell were they doing hiring this college coach? Oh, but Matt Rule, you know, yeah. turned Baylor around, a tremendous coaching job at Baylor. And who knows what his future is the way things have happened in Carolina recently. You know, Sam Darnold turns out not to be the guy. And all of a sudden, you're putting your your future in the hands of a quarterback you're not sure you can trust. And if he was at Baylor, he might not still be at Baylor, but he'd, he'd be the number one coaching hire for the next giant. He might've gotten USC instead of Lincoln Riley. Right. Right. So no, I, I just don't think uh, I agree. If Ryan day never coaches in the NFL as a head coach, I'll be very, very surprised. I just don't think he's in a hurry and I don't think he's going to jump great, until it's perfect. He's in a great position to pick his spot. Yes. You know, and I think one thing I know about coaching in the NFL about, you know, the way this works is circumstances are so important. Yeah. Circumstance. I mean, circum you get in a situation where you don't have a quarterback and you don't have a high pick and you can get to year three and you still don't have your long-term guy. And the owner might not give you the patience to find that guy. So, so much of it in the NFL comes down to circumstances. And I think Ryan's pretty well aware of that too. Yeah, I agree. He's Albert Breer. He's the uh, the lead guy for Monday Morning Quarterback at SI.com and Sports Illustrated, one of the absolute number one NFL authorities in sports journalism and a big Ohio State fan. Albert, we love having you on. Thanks so much for your time, man. Thanks for not calling me a honk there. I appreciate oh, it. No, listen, listen, I think you have struck a very interesting balance and it has worked out with your career that you're not, you know, you're not Pete Thamel. You're not doing college stuff you're doing nfl stuff but i do think i think there was a time and you would agree with this there was a time where it was like hey you've got to separate it right it's very separated and the uh, your fan uh, being a fan and being a journalist and now a lot of that is gone i mean there are people who are absolute fans of the teams they cover but you i think have kept the old school idea of it um listen man i'm a i'm a professional i'm not rooting for anybody but because your job has allowed it you've maintained the fan connection which I do think it keeps your head in the game because we work for fans. We work for fans. So if you think like a fan sometimes, I do think that helps. I do think that's real. And and I'm not going to, I don't want to out my, my buddy Pete here um, because he's great at what he does. I think the very best, um, you know, at what he does, but uh Pizza, pizza Celtics season ticket holder. So don't See? let him think that. Uh, don't, 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 don't let him make you think that he's what? he's neutral he's, when it comes to everything. He's, he's neutral. No, no, no. He's he's down the middle in college sports, and then he goes yep. and puts Same on thing. his Marcus yeah. Smart jersey and covers <laughs> and watches the NBA, and he's good to go. So yeah, yeah it all works absolutely. out. Absolutely, all works out for everybody. Albert Breer, thanks so much for your time here on Buckeye Talk, and we will be right back after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
So thanks to Albert for that. Can't thank him enough for joining us here on Buckeye Talk. Let's get to the bracket now. These are going to be the 64 games that will be in our bracket. Again, I'll seed them without putting my seeds in there, and I'm, I'll shake it up so we get some interesting crossover matchups. But this, the Michigan games that are going to be in here, it's every Michigan game in this century, every Michigan win, Ohio State has 17 of them except one. The 2009 win, 21-10, did not make it. That's Michigan. That's bad Michigan. And just kind of like a regular win. So not in. But we got the Trestle debut win in there in 01. We got the uh, Anthony Gonzalez helicopter catch in 05. The one versus two game in 06. Urban Myers debut in 2012. Tyvis Powell with the two-point uh, play interception in 2013. 2014, JT Barrett gets hurt. He sits in the stands. Cardale Jones comes in. 2016, unbelievable game. Curtis Samuel wins it in double over- overtime. 2017, JT Barrett gets hurt, gets hit by the camera before the game. Dwayne Haskins comes in, relieves him. 2018, huge blowout when Ohio State's the underdog. 2019, Ryan Day's win in his debut. He gets emotional about that. Good Michigan games, right? Good. Postseason games. We have 18 postseason wins in this century. The two that did not make it. 2004 Alamo Bowl. I know Ted Ted Ginn Jr. We had some people say, hey, you got to get that in there. Ted Ginn Jr. kind of exploded in that game. Just it's the end of a a down Ohio State year. There's just not as much to that. So I'm trying to split hairs here. Most of these other games, there's still stuff on the line most of the time. And then 2017 Cotton Bowl uh, beat Sam Darnold and USC. But Again, like nothing on the line because they didn't make the playoffs. So what we do have in there, 2002 national title, 2003 Fiesta Bowl win over Kansas State, 2005 Fiesta Bowl win against Notre Dame. And listen, I get some of those Kansas State, Notre Dame, nothing was on the line, but there's just a little more to those maybe. 2009 Rose Bowl against Oregon, big win. 2010 Sugar Bowl win against Arkansas. Uh, Steve Miller interception, you guys remember that, right? No, that wasn't Steve Miller, that was Solomon Thomas. Steve Miller was Alabama. Solomon Thomas was Arkansas, similar place. 2014 Big Ten title game, 59-0, kind of important. Then obviously the semifinal and national title games in 14. 2015 Fiesta Bowl against Notre Dame, after not making the playoff, kind of rolling there. 2017 Big Ten title against Wisconsin, win. 2018 Big Ten title against Northwestern. 2018 Rose Bowl against Washington, Urban Meyer's last game. 2019 Big Ten title against Wisconsin. 2020 Big Ten title against Northwestern. Listen, all these Big Ten title games... You're playing to get in the playoff as Ohio State. So there's a lot to those games. There's a lot on the line. You, th- you think Ohio State's going to win, but if they don't, it's a problem. 2020, the revenge game against Clemson in that semifinal, that's big than the 2021 Rose Bowl. Okay, those are a little more obvious. Those are just kind of sitting right there, and it's what gets left out. This was more difficult. Again, these home games, we're going to do the home games, not as good. 2002, Texas Tech. Opener, Maurice Claret debut. 2002, Washington State. Maurice Claret runs for 230 yards against number 10. Those are both like, hey, here we go with Maurice Claret. 2002, Penn State. It's the first time Chris Campbell Gamble starts both ways. 2003, three overtime win against North Carolina State. 2003, uh, Purdue, 16-13 overtime win. 2004, Marshall win. Game-winning field goal by Mike Nugent. 2009, Iowa win. That's a big jump. That's a five-year jump in home games. That's sort of like those five, six, seven, eight, like they're really good, but they're not playing like super exciting, dynamic, memorable home games. They're just kind of like rolling people efficiently. But of course, we have the Michigan game in there, but it's just like not as not as exciting, maybe. 
2009, Iowa, Devin Barkley game-winning field goal. 2011, Braxton Miller, the touchdown pass to Devin Smith against Wisconsin. That's the one game from 2011. 2012, Braxton Miller gets hurt. Kenny Guyton relieves, comes in, ties it. They win in overtime. 2013, to Penn State blowout. 63-14, but it is like Braxton Miller at absolute peak Braxton Miller. Again, that's a blowout, but there's not as there's not as many tight, exciting home games. I'm putting in like, hey, this is Braxton Miller at his finest. 2017, the Penn State comeback, 39-38, JT Barrett's fourth quarter. Unbelievable. 2018 against Indiana, Dwayne Haskins throws for 455 and six TDs. Again, it's a 23-point win. But it's Dwayne Haskins at his peak, kind of, and that's what we're looking for for these home games. 2019. Chase Young, back from the suspension, four sacks, enters the Heisman race in a 38-7 win over Wisconsin. 2019 Penn State, it's a big JT Dobbins game. Justin Fields gets hurt right at the end with like a tough kind of Justin Fields game. And then two games in 2021, Tulsa, which is a little weird, but it's trivia and Henderson set the freshman record for rushing yards by an Ohio State running back in that game. So that's memorable for that one thing, even though they didn't play that well and they struggled against Tulsa when they shouldn't have. And then the Michigan State, six touchdowns in the first half for C.J. Stroud. Those are the home games. Away games are barn burners. 2002 Cincinnati. It's at Paul Brown Stadium, but it's it's not an Ohio stadium. 23-19, Ohio State wins in the last four minutes. 2002 Purdue, Holy Buckeye. 2006 Texas. It's a one versus two win in Austin. 2008 Wisconsin. Terrell Pryor, it's a game-winning touchdown run with one minute left. It's sort of like, I remember they were running the pistol that game. It's Terrell Pryor and Beanie Wells. Kind of meshing the best they ever meshed. That was a big win at Wisconsin, 2017. 2009, Penn State. 24-7 win. It's the Terrell Pryor revenge game after Penn State beat Ohio State. In Ohio Stadium in 2008, Terrell Pryor, Pennsylvania kid, goes there. Everybody has anti-Terrell Pryor t-shirts walking into that game. Penn State is out to get him. Terrell plays well. Ohio State wins. 2010, Iowa. Crazy fourth down scramble. Fourth and 10, I think it was. Remember that by Terrell Pryor? Keeps it alive on the game-winning drive. Ohio State wins 2017. 2012, now we're to Urban Meyer. First uh, Big Ten win for Urban Meyer. 17-16, close win. Important to sort of like the thrust of that season and the Urban Meyer era. 2012, Wisconsin. That's in Madison. Ryan Chazier punches the ball out from Monty Ball going in for a touchdown, right? Remember that? Uh, Ohio State wins in overtime in that 2012 season. 2013 at Northwestern. ESPN, uh, nighttime game. Carlos Hyde comes back, runs for 168. Joey Bosa recovers the fumble in the end zone in the last play of the game to win by 10. Brent Musburger says a thing about covering the point spread, but like a tight, kind of dramatic night game at Northwestern. 2014 Penn State, the Joey Bosa walk-off sack in overtime. Everybody's exhausted. Double overtime. Tremendous game. Also 2014, the revenge game at Michigan State, 49-37. Maybe JT Barrett's best game. Uh, avenging the 2013 Big Ten Championship game loss to the Spartans. 2015 Virginia Tech, spin move. 2016, Oklahoma, young team goes to Oklahoma, lightning delay, Noah Brown, four touchdown catches, 45-24 at Oklahoma, big win for a young team. 2016, Wisconsin, overtime, 30-23. 2016, Michigan State, 17-16, Ohio State gets a two-point conversion stop in the final four minutes. That's why that 2016 team got in. They won all these tight games on the road. That's why they got in the playoff, despite not making the Big Ten championship game. And then 2018 at Penn State, also a comeback. That's Dwayne Haskins. They start throwing screen passes. Ohio State scores two touchdowns in the final seven minutes, 27-26. That's the away games. That's the bracket. If you want to get in on it, you'll just be voting. There'll be head-to-head matchups of these games. Listen, first round... It'll probably be a lot of them will be obvious which one's the better game. I think it'll get exciting near the end. Maybe you have an idea in your head. Hey, man, this this game's going to win. This could be the final four. But it's still like the round of 16, round of 32, Elite Eight can be really fun, right? So 
keeps Ohio State kind of in your brain during the offseason. We want to have a good time with it. We'll maybe talk about some of the games as we go through the voting. We'll talk about a little bit on the bracket, but this is for our tech subscribers. If you want to be a tech subscriber, just get it and you can take part in most of it without having to pay. And if you don't like it, you can bail. 614-350-3315. You send a text to that number. You get back a link to sign up. It's a two-week free trial, and then $3.99 a month after that. We'll start it this week. So this is our Monday pod. We're going to start the bracket this week. We appreciate you guys being part of it. Have some good stuff lined up this week, some Big Ten stuff, a Toledo uh, podcast slash Urban Meyer Future podcast. That should be really interesting. A couple surprises along the way. And thanks, as always, for making Buckeye Talk part of your week. Thanks again to uh, Albert Breer for stopping by and giving us an hour of his time. So gracious. Make sure you're following Albert Breer for all your uh, NFL coverage. I am Douglas Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.